This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Now the question time is one of the times which I don't, really, I don't really find very pleasant, to be honest with you. Because some of the questions require some uh, review. I need to look them up. Even great scholars, when they're asked questions, they have to go back home and they give the answer a few days later or something. So excuse me if I don't answer your question. Or if you see me putting papers aside. Because I am going to be asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala about my answers I give you. So please don't burden me, inshaAllah. The questioner says, Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Well, it's a very broad question. How do we know if Islam is the right religion? It's probably wrong asking this, but I just want to know. Uh, we believe it's the right religion because it says in the Quran, but um, it also says in the Bible, I don't know what that means. Can you please answer this question? Well, just in brief, uh, sister or brother, you said that it says it in the Bible, and you said that it says it in the Quran. That's good. And that means you need to know and understand how the Quran is the right word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, when you say that something comes from a source, then you need to see if that source is credible. You need to put that source to a test. You know Albert Einstein, those of you who have heard of him. Albert Einstein, when he said, he was actually the first one who said that the sky is expanding. Until they stole that idea of him. And what he did was he posed a challenge. He posed a challenge to whoever the scientists were then. And he said, if you think, here is my proof and here is my evidence. And if you think that it's wrong, then prove my evidence is wrong. Prove my calculations wrong. Prove my proof wrong. But they couldn't. They just passed by it and they stole it instead. So, just because it says it in the Quran or just because it says it in the Bible, yes, as a Muslim it's enough as a proof for us, but for a non-Muslim it's not enough. Because then the first thing they're going to ask you, how do I know the Quran is the correct way? And here comes the challenge. If you can produce a book like the Quran, produce a book like the Quran, if you think that this is not the word of Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِّن مِثْلِهِ in Surah Al-Baqarah Then bring a surah, a chapter like it, if you think it is not from Allah. The shortest surah in the Qur'an is about a sentence and a half. For 1,400 years, 427 years, nobody has been able to bring a sentence and a half like the Qur'an. What I mean by like the Qur'an is as original as the Qur'an. Not to get a few words and jumble them and say this is like the Qur'an. Get an original book that no one can produce one like it, just like the Qur'an came. No one had a book like the Qur'an before and no one can ever bring one like it after. That's one proof. So you need to actually analyze to the non-Muslim the authenticity of the source that you're getting it from. Why is it that hundreds of thousands of Muslims have memorized this book page to page, front to back in seven different dialects and they don't change. We pose the question why hasn't anybody memorized the Bible? Page to page? Not even the Pope has memorized the Bible by heart. Nobody has memorized the Bible by heart it's for the simple reason which is probably should be the only reason for someone who really is following the truth because they don't know which is the most authentic version. There are many versions. Don't know which one. 
And so the Bible today is like an interpretation of what people who came after Jesus said. It's not the direct words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it was sent down unto Isa Any priest, even the Pope can acknowledge that. For these, so basically look back at the source, the Qur'an and there you can explain to the non-Muslim as I've given some examples that the source that we are getting it from is quite unique and authentic and the challenge is if you don't believe Islam is the right way then prove that the source where it came from is wrong by producing another book like it by producing a sentence and a half like it and I'm sure definitely that they will not be able to do so Allah says in the Quran قُلْ لَوْ جِتَمَعَتِ الْإِنْسُ وَالْجِنُّ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يَأْتُوا بِمِثْلِ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ لَا يَأْتُونَ بِمِثْلِهِ Allah says, say if all the jinns and all of the human beings were together, together to try and bring a book like this Qur'an, they will not be able to bring one مثله, like even similar to it. <laughs> similar to it. Even if, we, even if they brought all their helpers and everybody. So, these are what you should concentrate on, insha'Allah. Another question, what am I as a Muslim supposed to do? When I am in a situation where haram is prevalent and the people, fellow Muslims, take the haram as a small matter and we have no way of leaving the place, what if we had no intention to do bad and didn't know there was going to be bad? Right. If you can't get out of the place where haram is prevalent, you really can't, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, La yukallifullahu nafsan illa wusaha. Allah does not oblige any person to do something which they are unable to do, except what is within its capacity. Wusaha. So whatever you are able to do in avoiding that environment, even if it means sitting in the same room in a corner, and you are unable to get out of that room, then do that in the corner. If it means you can put headphones on your ear, do so. If you can read a book or turn your attention away, you can do so. It's just an example which I gave. But basically, the rule is that verse in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Baqarah, in the last page of Surah Al-Baqarah, about two verses before the end, because some people were asking, can you give us the sources where you're getting them from? So now you're getting us custom now to sort of try and pinpoint where they're from. If you are unable to do something, do whatever is in within your human capacity. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not sin you for whatever you are unable to do. Whatever you are unable to do. If you can't change it, then Prophet says, whoever sees of you a munkar, a bad thing, an evil thing, and this is an example of it, then let them try and change it with their hand. In the proper way. If they're unable to change it with their hand properly, uh, with the correct principles, then let them change it with their tongue by advising. If they can't change it with their tongue in the proper way, then at least hate it with your heart. Hate it with your heart, and that's the last resort that you can go towards. What if we had no intention to do bad and didn't know this there was going to be bad? Yes, if you had no intention to do bad, then when the bad is in front of you, you leave it. You leave it. You're not doing the bad. Someone else is doing the bad. You didn't have the intention, alhamdulillah. But when the bad happens, simple. You just leave that environment. You leave that bad. You didn't know there was going to be bad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not hold you accountable for that which you do not know. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَالَّذِينَ إِذَا فَعَلُوا فَاحِشَةً أَوْ ظَلَمُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ ذَكَرُوا اللَّهِ ذَكَرُوا اللَّهَ فَاسْتَغْفَرُوا لِذُنُوبِهِمْ وَمَنْ يَغْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَلَمْ يُصِرُّوا عَلَى مَا فَعَلُوا وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ And those who do indecent acts or they oppress themselves in any way deliberately then they remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they realize that only Allah forgives the sins so they ask Allah to forgive them and who is there but Allah that can forgive these sins so He forgives them so long as they do not insist on continuing their bad act while they know that's the key point. While they know. So a person is forgiven 
if they did not know that what they're about to do is bad. But once you know, you must leave. Once you know, you must leave. I'm a bit afraid of that last question. I hope that nobody is trying to... Uh, probably, I hope no one had an argument with someone and trying to sort of... Uh, you know, use me in sort of uh, getting your way or something. So, inshallah, the intentions are good. Now, isn't Laylatul Qadr on the 15th of Sha'ban? How can you... S- how can you say it is in Ramadan? Please explain how come all others are wrong. Confuse me bad with this question. <laughs> Laylatul Qadr is not in Sha'ban. Sha'ban is the month before Ramadan. So, 15th of Shaban is not even Ramadan yet. Um, how can you say it is in Ramadan? Ah, that's the question. Well, because the Prophet ﷺ, he is the one who told us this. You will find this hadith in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. You will also find it in Sunan Abi Dawood and Sahih Ibn Majah. If you know these books of hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, where he was, uh, uh, where his companions would say, the narrators would say, the Prophet ﷺ, when the last ten nights of Ramadan used to arrive, he used to tighten his belt and wake up his family to pray in the night, and he used to await for Laylatul Qadr. And he used to say, the Prophet ﷺ used to say, تَرَقَّبُوهَا فِي الْعَشْرِ الْأَوَاخِرِ I'm just um, summarizing the hadith. Await for Laylatul Qadr in the last ten nights of Ramadan being in odd numbers. Being in odd numbers. Also hadiths about Prophet saying await for it in the 25th, the 27th and the 29th. There's many other hadiths about about the signs of Laylatul Qadr all talking about Ramadan my dear brother or sister. And please explain how come all others are wrong. I don't understand that. So, inshallah, I hope I helped you. If s- now the calendars, did you ask that question, brother? No, we don't know then. We don't know, Tamir. Habib Alvi, sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot. I just, um, if it's about the calendar, it's about, probably it's your question about the calendar. Why are they all wrong? They're not all wrong, brother. I don't know how they're wrong. I still don't understand. So. Naam. Isra' al-Ma'raj in Shaban. Well, that's a different story. Okay, Laylatul Qadr is a different thing. If some if someone backbites in front of us while we are fasting, then what do we do? It's very simple, my dear brothers or sisters. You simply advise them. And you tell them in a proper manner that what they are doing is haram and that the Prophet ﷺ said. He said, tell them what the Prophet ﷺ said. أَتَدْرُونَ مَا الْغِيبَةِ Do you know what ghiba is? And they said, what is ghiba, ya Rasulullah? And he said for a person to mention something in the, about their brother or sister in their absence when they don't like it to mention it. They said, ya Rasulullah, what if it's true? He said, if it's true, that's ghiba. If it's not true... Then that's, back, then that's uh, slandering. So try and advise them. If they don't stop, then you must get up and leave that gathering or try and change the topic in the best way that you can. Otherwise, listening to ghiba, you will fall into the same harm. Is sleeping during the day in Ramadan good or bad? What about out of Ramadan between Asr and Maghrib? Please explain. Brother Abu Hamza explained this yesterday, talking about the... Uh, this, you know, how it's not recommended to sleep throughout the whole day in Ramadan and then sort of wake up in the whole night. You're just trying to sort of, you're really not reaping out the benefits of fasting at all. So it's not really recommended to sleep throughout the day of fasting. But the Prophet ﷺ always, this is a sunnah that he used to do, he used to always, regardless, Ramadan, outside of Ramadan, used to have something called a qaylula. Qaylula is a short sleep between, somewhere between Dhuhr and Asr. As for between Asr and Maghrib, I don't know of the I've heard of some hadiths about this, but I don't know the authenticity, if it's true or not. But I have read from many scholars, past and present, when they are talking about uh, sleeping between Asr and Maghrib as being not recommended. As being not recommended. And they reference to a hadith, which I don't know its authenticity, saying, whoever sleeps between Asr and Maghrib and wakes up 
and you know he's mentally disturbed then only blame himself but I don't know the authenticity of this however we do hear it from scholars nevertheless the Prophet ﷺ did not usually sleep between Asr and Maghrib he used to sleep between Dhuhr and Asr so let us take uh, what the Prophet ﷺ did but don't oversleep in Ramadan you need to weep the, uh, the fruits of that so the, weep the sows or sow the weeps or I don't know how they say it طيب brother you've said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't ask Muslims to fast when they were in Medina because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not want to torture them or cause hardship to them and so on does it mean does it mean that the poor people at this time don't have to don't have a compulsory to fast this is a good question so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't com- command them to do it because they were already in the lowest in the hardship that needed to be. They were already fasting, you see. They were already fasting. This does not mean that the poor people don't have to fast. They still have to fast. But you see, the Prophet, I mean, if a poor person is so poor that it doesn't have any food to eat, then he's automatically fasting, aren't they? And I don't know what the difference is between you not eating and a poor person not eating. Poor person doesn't have food, can't afford the food in the day. Well then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will provide him food in the night. And he'll only have to eat once in the day, or in suhoor, or probably eat a little bit in suhoor and a little bit afterwards, not eating three meals anymore. So fasting is actually good for the poor person, he's still patient. You see? Catch the drift? As for a person who's very ill and sick, or a person who's on a journey and travel, or a person who's unable to fast, it's a fuqh matter now, then they don't have to fast, they'll make it up another day. So insha'Allah, it's solved insha'Allah. Tayyip, salam alaykum alaykum salam. Do you mind to clarify authenticity, sahih, of Quranic verses and hadiths you use in the lecture? Also, could you please make them publicly available? Insha'Allah, we will try our best to make them publicly available. Please consult Isna insha'Allah. As for the verses of the Quran, we don't usually say they're sahih or da'if. That only applies to hadiths, right? Words of the Prophet Because the Quran is always sahih, no matter what. But we'll inshallah display it. I'm not going to go through them all now inshallah. Uh, assalamu alaikum alaikum assalam. Can I pray with shop with shoplifted clothes? I just want to make people laugh now, right? Can I pray with shoplifted clothes? The answer is no, my dear brother or sister. Whether you pray or don't pray, you shouldn't be wearing them. You shouldn't be wearing them if they are stolen. So it is haram to accept any posi- anything from anyone who you know it is stolen and it's haram to steal otherwise you are assisting you are assisting theft is it true that I cannot fast the days from now till Ramadan you, you can fast them you can fast them but there is a nahi we say a nahi the Prophet ﷺ did not recommend people to fast in the last towards the last days before Ramadan towards the last days before Ramadan. You can look this up in a book called Al-Lu'lu' uh, Wal-Marjan for uh, Ibn Al-Qayyim Samahat al-Shaykh Ibn Al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah He's got all the hadiths taken from Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. Or you can look up Riyadh al-Salihin if you like, it has something in it. You can also look up, look up many books of fiqh insha'Allah for your evidence for that. So it's not recommended to fast about halfway of Sha'ban till the day of Ramadan or to delay it uh, so that you can prepare yourself insha'Allah for Ramadan. Unless you are used to fasting Mondays and Thursdays, one day on, one day off, right? Then you can continue doing that insha'Allah. I am breastfeeding and as a revert to Islam I have never fasted before. Am I able to fast as much as I can, i.e. if my milk is drying out can I stop for a day, then continue again? Well, sister, this is something which I can't really answer because it's something which you know yourself. All I can say to you is the common rule is that if your fasting will lead, you know, you know that it is going to lead you to harm or your baby to harm, then you can break that fast and fast another day. But we're not talking about harm that is a, like you say to yourself, look, you know, if I stop, you, I mean, there is milk and there's everything, but you think to yourself, if I stop, there's a potential that they'll be harmed. You can't rely on, 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 a, on a hypothesis such as that. So it's only when you reach the point where you, 
it's apparent to you that really it is drying, then yes, you may break your fast and fast another day. Islam and fasting is very easy, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum assalam. I was wondering, can someone make up for missed prayers they've missed? There's a lot of hadiths that say you must and some say you can't. Can you please help me out? The scholars differed. The scholars differed. Actually, first of all, I don't know if you're talking about the prayers when you were not praying deliberately or the prayers that you actually forgot to pray or you slipped past them. If they are the prayers which from before you deliberately didn't pray them like for 10 years or 15 years before, then there are two opinions to that. But the majority of the scholars and the correct opinion, which the majority of the scholars, when we say scholars, Yani, we're talking about the early scholars who have already dealt with this issue for us and explained it to us. The scholars of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, the scholars of Hadith, they talk about and already explained to us, the majority of them, that the prayers that have passed you, when you deliberately left them, then the tawbah, the repentance itself, will cover up for all what you have done, so long as you start doing your prayers on time, and you start doing the good deeds, and you really repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Other scholars, they said, you should actually make them up. But for 10 years or 15 years making up your prayer is not something which uh, the scholars unanimously agreed upon. But if you forgot to pray or you slept past your prayer, yes, you must make up your prayer when you remember or when you wake up. Even if it's the next day, even if it's a week later. I want to marry but my parents are not allowing me to do it. Please tell me what I can do. Can I go against their will? Where's Abu Hamza? <laughs> Talk to Abu Hamza. <laughs> yeah, this is something which concerns you yourself, so maybe talk one-on-one, inshallah. We can't really answer it in, pub- you know, in general like that. It's just a general question, I don't know. It's a very sensitive question. Please don't burden me, brothers and sisters. You know? I don't want parents next day calling me up and starting blasting me. It depends. Is it haram for your wife to give you... Oh my God, how could you ask this question? Where's the brothers who gave me the question? <laughs> you didn't look at them, I know, they're just... Going... Oh man. You, you, you redded me in the face now. The, the Prophet ﷺ said, don't redden your brother in the face. Don't make him embarrassed. You know? Can you answer that, Abu Hamza? <laughs> <Where's> Abu Hamza? <laughs> no. طيب, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yani whatever the, in general, whatever the Sharia, Islam, the Sharia is, um, has been quiet about, whatever the Sharia has been quiet about, and it didn't really say you can do it or not, then it means that it's mubah, it's allowed. Right? But, um, really, the questioner, you know yourself what you asked, I really don't know the... Um, the proper, the proper answer to that one, inshaAllah. Seek some advice from a more knowledgeable person. But be careful how you ask them the question, inshaAllah. <laughs> I'm in love with... Oh my God. <laughs> oh man. We... Alright, I'll just leave these questions aside, inshaAllah. If only you knew. What do you think about... <laughs> Alright. Um, what, well, look, I mean, what do you think, this is an alright question, what do you think about parents asking top dollars for their daughters in marriage, like the mahar? This is not about the money. You know the mahar? Hands up those who, who know what the mahar is. <laughs> okay, mashallah. Okay, I can't see whoever doesn't know what the mahar is. Good. Okay, well the mahar, <coughs> the dowry, which is given to the woman as a gift, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded in Islam. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, the best of the women are the ones whose request for the mahar is the least. What does that mean? It means, the least doesn't mean that the one who asks for a dollar or a cent. Compared to the rest of her peers in society, 
she should not ask, or her, her, her guardian or her father, whoever her guardian is, her wali, should not ask for an extravagant amount of mahar for their daughter to be paid. You're not selling her. And it is something which is very highly disliked in Islam to seek high mahars. And in some cultures, they ask for $100,000 or $150,000. You know, and what they think is that you're, you're trying to, they're trying to sort of guard their daughter from being divorced. That's pathetic because if you're trying to guard your daughter from being divorced, the matter has to be paid to her whether or not he divorces her, generally. And secondly, you know that he will never pay that. So, that husband will start making her hate her life until she asks to be divorced, where in that case she's not entitled to the mahar. And we've seen this happen so many times in our society. And what the men do is, some men, they get so aggravated from that, that they make their wives work, work, really hard, in the shop and at home, and they kind of like want to make them suffer for it. There is so much benefit from what the Prophet ﷺ advises. So she should take what her peers take, and if she asks for a little bit less, that's fine, but not too much less. A common mahar today really, I mean in here, I mean to, in this locality, when we write the mahar and we do the marriage, marriages, when I've done marriages for people, the advice we give them is somewhere between you know, 10000 15000 $20,000 if they want to give it in money. And this is hers to keep, he has no right to it. Some people want to give a little bit more out of your generosity, that's fine. But $100,000, $150,000 is ridiculous, you're not doing good for your daughter. Wallah al-Azim. Tayyip, brother, can you explain who is... Um, Permissible to fast and who is not? For example, can a paralyzed person fast? Well, we explained it. Whoever is ill or sick to a point where they are unable to fulfill their normal day-to-day -day duties, unable to walk and talk and, and do their duties, and it will cause them to be ill or sick or faint or vomit, things like that, it makes you, you know, ill, then you're allowed to break your fast. I mean, when you're on a travel, there's hardship in travel, hardship in suffer. So, you're allowed to break your fast then. A paralyzed person. Well, if that paralyzed person is unable to fast, then they don't have to fast at all. If that paralyzed person is unable to fast ever, then they don't have to fast. And they should pay for every day which they broke their fast amount to feed one poor person. To go through who can fast and who can't fast, we need a little while to explain that. I think Abu Hamza also spoke about this yesterday. Please refer to the lecture, inshallah. Or you can go to books of fiqh, fiqh sunnah for example, look at Riyad al-Salihin if you like. Books, books of fiqh, I like it to read about fasting, it's all there, you know. Why is it haram most things for girls, but not for guys? For example, covering up and not being allowed to do certain things. Ya Rab, give me more energy. I need more energy to answer these questions. Um, <clears throat> no, no sister in Islam. Or brother, it is not. There aren't more things that are haram for the women than there are for the men. That's wrong, right? If you really look at the things that are halal and haram in Islam, you will find that we're actually equal in the things that are haram for us and haram for you. For example, it's haram for a for a man not to go to the Friday prayer, the Jumu'ah prayer, but for you it's not. Another example, it's haram for the man. I have to use this example. I won't change that example. Uh, okay, it's haram for a man to really shave his beard, right? But for the woman, if she has some hair, she's allowed to take them off, right? So, uh, there are many other things. It's, uh, it's haram for a man to have, in a time of wedding, um, you, know, uh, you know, hitting on a duff and singing. I mean, well, it's not, it's not really a recommended act for the men to do that. But it's a highly recommended act for the women to do that. To do aras, you know, walima for, uh, like aras and, and a party for, for the woman, to do that. There are many things that we can mention that are haram for the man and not haram for the woman. A man is, it's compulsory upon the man, for example, to go to, uh, yani if they are called to, to um, it's compulsory for the man to be the leader of the house and provide the family with their sustenance and to work, to provide the family and his wife for sustenance and food and and clothing and shelter, but it's not compulsory for the woman to do that. 
So that, like we grow our beard, you wear your hijab. Where's, you know, where's the more haram? I don't understand. Plus, the haram which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes is actually good for us. It's only good for us. Wallah al Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if only you knew. If only you knew. So, there aren't more haram for the women more than the men. It seems like that, maybe because of the society we live in. And they've caused you to think that women are deprived. No, Wallah al they are not. In fact, it's more, I, the way I see it is that the men have to do more effort towards the family and towards their wife than the wife has to towards her husband. Really, for those who really practice Islam properly. طيب. When fasting and doing wudu, can you wipe over your mouth? Yes, you can. You can even put water in your mouth, but not gargle it. Right? And not gargle it. So put a little bit of water in your mouth and just spit it out. That's fine. Inshallah. And to wipe your mouth, you can also do that According to the proper opinion, gargling the mouth and the nose is a sunnah in wudu. Assalamu alaikum wa alaikum salam. Do I pray before futur or do I break my futur then pray? Breaking your iftar doesn't mean eating a whole meal, by the way. Breaking your iftar is basically just swallowing something of nutrition, like a gulp of water, for example, half of a date. Or a date. That's breaking your, your fast. So you should actually, it's recommended for you to break your fast with anything. The best way, Prophet is to break his fast with fresh dates. If not, then with dry dates. If there's no dry dates, then with water. So you can break your fast in that way. And then he used to go and pray the Maghrib. And then uh, you can go back and finish off your meal. <laughs> what a meal we eat today. Subhanallah. We, yeah. Like, you know, five, six different meals followed by um, desserts and everything. You can do all that, but don't fill yourself up too much. It's not recommended. Especially when, I heard this in Sydney, made me laugh. Especially lots of us Lebanese people love our jaj and tum. You know, the chicken and garlic. I don't like it personally, man. They go up there and start burping in the blinds. Oh, you can't even stand it. Subhanallah, it's ridiculous. And they can't stand in tarawih for long. You should see them. It's like we have never seen food before. Prophet ﷺ said, fill a third of your stomach, really, in fasting. That's one, one, another way of controlling yourself. If you can reach that and fill only a third of your stomach after you've fasted, wallah, you're going to accomplish so much benefit for yourself as a person. Later on you'll find, not only your diet is better, not only will you find yourself losing weight, but also you're healthy. Because you see, coming from a scientific point of view, um, if you feel, really, if you feel more than what your body actually needs in your stomach, it will only be converted to fat and lipids. Stored in the liver, if you don't use it, stored as fat in your skin. Between, you know. So these lipids and these fats which are stored in your skin, you know, they're fat and they're not good for you. High cholesterol, blah, 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 all of that stuff. So if you eat more than what your body needs, and the Prophet ﷺ gave us the evaluation of that and the measure. A third. And leave a third for water and leave a third to breathe for crying out loud. So... Especially if you're the Imam praying in Taraweeh, don't eat too much. So you can breathe, inshaAllah. You should see the people complaining behind us when we're praying in Taraweeh. Ah, you took too long. Well, how much? Five verses of the Quran we read. Wallah, five verses. Short verses. Took too long. I don't know if you people, some people know the, um, this, uh, it's an Arabic joke, right? And this Imam he used to pray and sometimes he used to read about ten verses behind people who were very impatient. He used to fill their stomachs up really much and they can't stand long in prayer. So they started complaining, Ya Shaykh, you read too long, too long. So the Shaykh started reading three verses. Ya Shaykh, you're reading too long. So he started reading one verse. He comes up and he says one verse in Surah Al-Rahman. Those of you who know the Quran, he said, Mudhammatan, and he went to Rukur. <laughs> now Mudhammatan is in plural. Well, it's in dual. Mudhammatan. One man comes up and says, Ya Shaykh, why didn't you say Mudhamma? Just one. One Mudhamma. Mudhammatan and Mudhamma. But... We've got to not fill our stomachs up too much. Brother, which is more important? Is Ramadan, in Ramadan, reading Quran or praying? Which one does the soul need more? It needs it both, man. When you pray, you read Quran, yeah? But your compulsory prayers, the five daily prayers, are more important than reading Quran. Because reading Quran is voluntary. But you don't leave the Quran at all. There's a hadith from Prophet ﷺ, and I've looked it up to be sahih. Prophet ﷺ said, Whoever recites ten ayat 
of the Quran in a day, that's outside of the prayer, 10 ayat of the Quran in a day, lam yuktab min al You will not be written in that day as being one of those who have neglected Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if you read a hundred verses in a day, then you will be written for that day as being one of the qanitun. Any the ones who are specially close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anything less than ten, what are you going to be written as? Ghafi. One who is neglectful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Especially the hadith of Prophet do not make your houses deserted. Don't make your houses grave, graveyards. Recite Quran in them. And there are many hadiths about reciting Quran. How can you go through Ramadan and not recite Quran? How? The Quran is the medicine for the heart. That's why we recite it in, in, in prayer. Ya Allah. Quran, wallah, especially me personally, I love listening to the slow recitation, you know, what we call tajweed, like Abdul Basit style and those others, because it gets me to reflect and think about it, especially when it repeats the verse, it makes me really sink it in. Me personally, you know, you might have a different taste, so it's nice to listen to the Quran, let it really enter your heart and sink in slowly. The Quran will clear your heart from all envy, from all hatred, from subhanAllah, you know. And I recommend more Quran than nasheeds in, in any time, yani. I've got three days to make up and if I can't make it before this Ramadan can I leave them and make them after Ramadan what is the ruling on this if I can't make it before this Ramadan well again there's, you know, there's two opinions about that some said that uh, you must fast your make up your fasting before the next Ramadan but other scholars said, no, you can make it any time. However, it is recommended to make them up earlier, and before the next Ramadan. Personally, I've rested on the opinion that uh, you can fast at any time based on the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَعِدَّةٌ مِنْ أَيَامٍ أُخَرٍ Make up your fasting on any other days. And he didn't confine it to the time before next Ramadan. So, until I see a dalil or evidence other than that, inshallah, we'll go by that. If anyone has that, they can shout it out. There's nothing wrong with it. Another question. My sister-in-law is about seven months pregnant. My brother, tell, my brother tell her not to fast this Ramadan. Is this allowed? My brother tell, told her not to fast this Ramadan. Is this allowed? Um, look, with pregnancy, you don't just break your fast just because you're pregnant. right? The common rule is, if you find yourself really leading to harming yourself or the baby by fasting, then you can break it. Seek advice from your doctor, for example. The doctor will tell you, well, you know, if you do it, then this is going to happen. But we're not talking about potential problems. Anybody can reach those potential problems. I can potentially, tomorrow if I fast, I can potentially get sick. But I don't know that. So when, I, when you actually reach that stage, really the critical time of pregnancy is within the first three months. That's the critical stage. Right, doctors will tell you that. After that, there's no real harm in fasting. And even if you do fast, your babies can still take from other... And it, there's, there's also nutrients that are stored in other places of, on your body. I'm not going to go into detail about that. They can also take nutrients from there. But if you find that your baby really is going to be harmed, and a doctor really advises you, and you are in a critical stage, yes. But in seventh month, then you know yourself, really. If you get sick from it, and you start vomiting a lot, and stuff like that, then yeah, you can break it, inshallah, make up another time. But just wait... To see if it's going to harm you or not. Yani, you get to that stage where you really get advice that no good. Your blood pressure is down or it's up or whatever, diabetes, all of that. So try and sort of seek advice from the doctor. If someone doesn't improve after Ramadan but they did fast and struggle in Ramadan for Allah because fasting is for Allah, won't they get rewarded for their fasting? If not, how is this fair? Tayyib. A person should improve after Ramadan as we said. And if you struggled in Ramadan to attain this and you did it the right way, my brother or sister, I guarantee you, you will improve. There's no doubt about that. You will improve. If you, do, if you think about the benefits we mentioned today and you recite the Quran and you are around the pious people and you make your salat in, in the masjid or if you are a sister, you know, you're around pious women. And you, and you switch, on, switch off that television once and for all. And you start making dua and asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you, repenting. Doing good deeds such as charity. The Prophet ﷺ, they said, he used to be the most generous. And when Ramadan came, he was even more generous in his charity. There is no wealth that diminishes from sadaqah. 
And you visit sick people. You follow a janazah if you're a brother, if you're a man. If you're a woman, you visit somebody to pay him condolences for their lost ones. You smile in your sister's face or your brother's face. And not vice versa, you know, brothers and sisters don't get the wrong idea. You're smiling out of, you know, politeness, okay, but just be careful. Yani, so, I don't know how this person will not improve. I don't know how. Impossible. But, if you tried your best, and you have some other problem, only Allah knows if you got rewarded or not. But to ask that question, is that not fair, my dear brother or sister, subhanallah. Is there anyone more fairer than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? In fact, Allah is not only fair, is there anyone more generous than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You know what he said? I don't know if Abu Hamza said this yesterday. How all the doors of heaven are open in the month of Ramadan. All the doors of hellfire are closed in Ramadan. The, the, um, the devils are uh, restricted. And they are, it's hard for them to travel through your blood. Your deed, your normal deed is multiplied by 70 and 700 in Ramadan. All your deeds, any good deed that you do, multiplied by much more than the normal days. The Prophet and he said that it is the month of forgiveness. That's why he said, Ameen, whoever comes into Ramadan and goes out of Ramadan still hasn't been forgiven. Meaning, what were they doing? What were they wasting their time in? What were they wasting their time in? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he said, when he said this, my servants fasting for me, it's only for me to, I'm going to reward it in a special way. No angel is going to look at it. Nobody. Only me. I'm going to reward it in a special way. It's mine. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really acknowledges that. He says, He leaves his food and his drink for me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so generous in the month of Ramadan. I don't know how a person will not be rewarded. If you do all those deeds, then inshaAllah, you will be on the right path inshaAllah ta'ala. If not, then seek other good deeds after Ramadan inshallah you have to continue my dear brother or sister you have to continue you know some people when Ramadan comes is what they do maybe you'll fit into this scenario a day or two or probably even the week before Ramadan they go outside you know they do all the haram things that they can get their hands on right we know of people who used to go you know, nightclubs and, and places where are haram and they go and do all the haram they meet up with the girl for the last time they probably have a last chit chat you know, chit chat with their girlfriend before the, the month of Ramadan comes because then I have to tell them, you know, look, you know, I'm a Muslim. I don't do these things, you know, in Ramadan. <laughs> I don't do these in Ramadan. But he's kidding himself. <laughs> Amazing, huh? Only in Ramadan Allah is there. After Ramadan, he's, Allah is not there for me. Subhanallah. Allah is not there for me. It's only in Ramadan where I realize Allah. So you're a Muslim only in Ramadan. Really, you're not really like, that's not really a proper Muslim anyway. And then after Ramadan finishes, the first day after, in Eid especially, they do even double of what they did before Ramadan, because you see, before, they thought to themselves, I deserve to go out and do this haram, because in Ramadan I'm going to be doing a lot of good deeds, Allah's going to forgive me, so we'll just do it. And Allah's going to forgive it anyway. And then after Ramadan, man, I've done so many good deeds and whatever, I deserve to, you know, do the, you know, I've earned, I've earned my, my haram for the day. You know, and even if I get some haram, oh, I've had millions of them forgiven already. So one tiny one won't get me into hellfire. Why not? We'll do it. Ya Allah, Ya Allah, if only you knew. Subhanallah. One sin can make you enter hellfire. And all your deeds could be washed away if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills. But only if you knew. Don't ever compromise your Islam, my brothers and sisters. You know who does that? They are people who have a problem with their iman in their heart. So when they pray, they have a problem in their iman. When they're fasting, they have a problem with their iman. When they read the Qur'an, they have a problem with their iman. When they're living day-to-day life, they're having a problem with their iman. When they die, they die with a problem with their iman. How are you going to enter paradise that way? I am a Muslimah who has missed a few years of making up fasts due to menstruation. I have 30 plus days to make up and find this very overwhelming. And don't know if I can do it as I find fasting a struggle, what can I do? Do I still have to make up these days? I don't know if you mean you, fast, you, you, you find fasting a struggle because of your problem. Right? I, I presume this is a problem maybe. But you have to understand that the mens- menstruation for a woman technically lasts you know, up to seven days maximum. If you are still menstruating after that, right, then this is not menses. This is just normal blood. Normal bodily blood. You should fast, you should pray if this happens to you. We're not going to go into detail about that. But if you have these 30 days, fast them, my dear sister, 
whenever you find yourself able to do so and as quick as possible. Some sisters what they do is to make it easy on themselves. They choose the days where the, where the, the day is shorter. Right? And that's okay, that's fine inshallah. That's fine. You're not cheating or anything like that. Fast the days that are shorter, where the Maghrib is about 5.30. But ya ukhti, I can't say any concession for you. Once you are clean, you must fast those days. They are a debt upon you. They are a debt upon you. And you are doing it for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I can't find any concession for you at all. If it's overwhelming, fast them. So that it will no longer be overwhelming for you. You have to start somewhere. You have to start the first hurdle. It's not easy after a long time to get back to the studies and the books, right? But after a few weeks, a few months, inshallah, you start getting back into it. You know, coming from a student, I mean, you know, we used to, you stay away for a few months, come back to studies, you're back there. Similar, you leave weights for a while. Right, for the men who know it. You leave weights for a while, you've diminished, come back to weights, you have to struggle again. You have to start with the cardiac exercises, light weights and all that stuff. And then finally you get the hang of it. Life is like that. And you will not get better at things until you really commit, first of all. I'm sure that if we really want something, even if it's hard, we're going to do it. No matter what happens. Right? So if you really love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fast because you love Him. Fast because you love Him. Fast because you want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be pleased with you. Brother, are you allowed to kiss your wife on the mouth in Ramadan? Uh, well, if you're married, and you, you, yes, your wife in Ramadan, well, this is, a, this is a hard question for me, subhanAllah. Because an old man came and asked the Messenger, sallam, can I do that? He allowed him. A young man came, Prophet said no. But this was like personally to them. If you know yourself that, this is not really haram generally, but if you know yourself this is going to lead to other things, then you should, not, um, you should not do that. And nevertheless, in any case, every Muslim should be avoiding these acts and coming close to these acts in Ramadan because of their potential of what it can lead to. Right? Because their potential of what it could lead to. So, you should not approach these things insha'Allah and practice wara' in Ramadan. Yani avoid the allowed things that could possibly lead you to haram. Brother, we're talking to a girl on the phone, break your fast. <laughs> Technically, it doesn't break your fast where you have to make up that day, no. But you know what happens? Haram that's done in Ramadan, the accumulation of haram in Ramadan, diminishes and breaks away the reward that you're meant to earn in Ramadan. So these are the types of people who the Prophet ﷺ said there could be people who are fasting and receive nothing from their fasting except what? Hunger and thirst. And there could be people who are praying in the night receive nothing but sleepless nights. They're the people who show off their prayer. So that's what doing haram in Ramadan does to you. It diminishes your reward because reward comes with benefit. You are not only diminishing your reward, you're also diminishing your benefit. Where's the benefit in that, subhanAllah? There's no benefit whatsoever. And alhamdulillah, I see many brothers and sisters, when Ramadan comes, they abstain from these things. They probably would have boyfriends and girlfriends before we ask Allah to forgive them and to help them stop these things. But when Ramadan comes, they abstain from it with the intention that they're only going to stay away from it just because of Ramadan. But alhamdulillah, they actually become better people in Ramadan and they fast the proper way. Proper way, like they do the good deeds, they try their best to abstain from the bad things, like really concentrating on them. And after Ramadan, alhamdulillah, they have no more girlfriends, no more boyfriends. They have none of these acts anymore. Now it's very easy for them to stop it. Alhamdulillah, a few months down the track, they're married in halal. So this is a good thing, alhamdulillah. How much time do we have, ya akhi? Five minutes, good. Tayyib. I know that we as individuals should start fast to, um, and do Eid with the majority of Muslims for unity's sake. Now what do we do if our mosque, where I would go to pray taraweeh, decides to do Eid on a day different to the day of the majority of the Muslims of Melbourne. Well, ya Akhil Kareem, my dear brother or sister, you may find some other people saying different things about this. This is the most controversial question, subhanAllah. However, yani unity is the most important thing. Citing the crescent is also very important. But I'm going to answer the question, right, hypothetically speaking, that nobody cited the crescent. There's no mention of it here in this question. Then you fast with the majority of the Muslims. Why I say this? Here's my dalil, inshallah. That the Prophet ﷺ, when he spoke about fasting Ramadan, waiting for it and breaking it, he said, obviously citing the crescent. 
The reason he said citing the crescent because the crescent is something which they used to always follow. Everybody followed the crescent to count their days and months. So it was something shared by everybody. And it was hard to miss it. It was the closest thing to unity, in other words. Today we go by calendars. Another hadith Prophet ﷺ, he said, If it's cloudy and you can't see the crescent, then don't fast that day, it's haram. Or don't break it. Wait till the next day. Again, even if the crescent was there, and you found out the next day the crescent was there, don't go around saying, I knew I was right, the crescent was there, we should have fasted or done that. No, no. Again, seeking so that the Muslims will not disunite. Again, calling to unity. And there is also another hadith Prophet ﷺ saying, Sawmukum, uh, Ya Allah, I forgot that hadith. Can anybody remind me, those of you who know it? Yeah, and if in English, basically, your fast is the fast of your people and your breaking of it is the breaking of your people. Can anybody remind me? Not to citing it. The meaning of the hadith is that people should fast according to the fasting of their people and break it according to the breaking of their people. That's when there's no citing, there's all of that. Again, calling to the unity of the Muslims. So fast with the majority. Insha'Allah. I work with a disabled man. He walks around naked. And I see him. So is it wrong for me to take care of him or should I quit this job? I presume that this is a sister asking the question. Yeah? Or could be a brother even. Because both of us are haram. It's haram for us to look at the private parts of a male. Unless he's your husband. And Okay. In this case, my dear sister, if it's a sister, I would advise you to leave this job and probably work with disabled women instead if you can. Otherwise, if you can find another job uh, that will uh, save you from that, it will be better. Or try to abstain from dealing with that particular patient. Let a man deal with him, then that's fine. Only because this job, if you leave it, there is someone else to fill it. It's only in the case where it's a necessity, where there is no one else to fill it and you're the only one, in that case you're allowed to do it. Or if you look after, let's say, some women or men, they look after their own father or, you know, or their, their father or, or their uncle or someone who no one else is, can, can look after and they are disabled and mental, mentally ill, for example, and there's no other man to look after him, then this is a necessity, yes. You are allowed to look after that person, but don't concentrate on looking at the haram places. So you try to avoid it to the best of your ways. Last question, inshallah, our time is up. Uh, are you allowed to drink saliva in Ramadan? The age is 11 years old. 11 year old boy asked this question, which is a good question. Well, he can't put saliva in a cup and drink it. No. He can't do that in Ramadan. <laughs> it's very harmful to you. But if you mean swallow your own saliva, you can swallow your own saliva. There's nothing wrong with that. As for the mucus that comes out of your nose and your head, which you all have it inside of your esophagus and inside of your trachea and your lungs, it's all over your body, right? It's not najas, it's not impure. If that reaches your throat, then you should spit it out, not swallow it. Like, you understand? Like if you have a flu and it reaches your throat, you know, some people, their mucus does reach their throat. I know you don't own up to it, but it does happen to you, I know. Some people swallow it. So in Ramadan you should try to spit it out. If you accidentally swallowed it, that's fine. And if you forgot, that's fine. And if you don't know, that's fine. My, I conclude by saying, يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ وَلِتُكَبِّرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى مَا هَدَاكُمْ وَلَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ Allah wants ease for you. He does not want hardship. He wants you to glorify His name in your celebration at the end of it and so that you may be grateful and thankful to Allah. I thank you for listening. هذا وصلى الله وسلم على حبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين والحمد لله رب العالمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله.